standard issue for all women. Hello, ho, 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 and welcome to episode 184 of the Standard Issue Podzine. I'm Mickey Noonan, and yeah, I know I used that greeting on the latest Outside the Box, but I'm a big believer in recycling. And anyway, it's our last podcast before Christmas, so I'm trying to get into the festive spirit. And yeah, once again, this has been made tricky, to put it mildly. As I record this, the need for more COVID measures looms large over the holidays. Currently, it looks like Christmas is unlikely to face any COVID curbs, but some sort of circuit breaker might kick in on December the 28th. No one knows, but we can be comforted by the knowledge that Boris Johnson won't hesitate to hesitate when it comes to bringing in any sort of restrictions. It's hard, isn't it? Our individual efforts to maintain good pandemic manners and protocols can appear pretty pointless when they're dwarfed by epic systemic failings by the showering power whose contempt for the electorate, for us, gets clearer every fucking day as they make the rules, but clearly do not follow them. There's also the worry that people are bored and tired and sad and not really up for being lonely again these holidays and have witnessed the utter contempt of those in charge, meaning compliance to any new restrictions will be low. And Twitter certainly has opinions on this. I know, who'd have thunk it? But... As the lower numbers doing their Christmas shopping at the weekend showed, lots of people are imposing their own restrictions already, with many isolating before they travel or cancelling plans altogether. It's not really a surprise that a lot of the country is ahead of the government on this. To quote Wham, once bitten, twice shy. And to paraphrase Wham, three times bitten, really fucking shy. But our individual efforts are so, so important. Anyway, not sure if this helps, but I've just listened to Paul McCartney's Pipes of Peace seven times on the trot, and my mood is more optimistic. It is one of my favourite Christmas songs, along with Fairy Tale of New York, I mean, obviously, Oh Holy Night, and When a Child is Born, purely for the lol out loud way Johnny Mathis delivers the line, black, white, yellow, no one knows. But seriously, I don't think Pipes of Peace gets enough airtime, because not only is it a bona fide banger, its message of unity over difference has never seemed more necessary. The video, a brilliant miniature anti-war film set during the famous 1914 Christmas truce between British and German troops, is also a Pipes of Masterpiece. Yeah, I did it, don't at me. Because extending the hand of friendship to those in need is surely one of the best examples of goodwill to all mankind we can muster. On that note, coming up in this pod scene, Jen chats to Philly Boyle, a founding member and director of partnerships for the charity Choose Love. They chat about the migrant crisis, winning hearts and minds, and how we can all help by choosing love this Christmas. It sounds lovely, doesn't it? Choose love. Also coming up, Hannah's chatting to our favourite film aficionado, the one, the only, the brilliant Yosra Osman, about the highs and lows of 2021 at the cinema. Even if sometimes that cinema was in our own houses. Back to Pipes of Peace, because it has so much that speaks to me. In the video, Maka plays both the British and German soldier, differentiated by the latter having a moustache. My dad is a scouser and was, in his youth, often mistaken for Paul McCartney. In 1983, when Pipes of Peace came out, my dad also sported a fashionable at the time moustache, and so the resemblance between the German Maka and my errant father is uncanny. Regular listeners will know I don't have a good relationship with my dad. I won't go into the ins, outs, whys and whens again here. But Christmas, where perfect families are foisted upon us in every other advert, can be a difficult time for many people who don't have perfect families. And I'm going to guess that's a pretty big percentage of us. 
It means that Christmas Day can feel lonely and isolating, even if you're not physically on your tod. And, of course, it can when you are physically on your tod and not by your own choosing. That is where the boss steps in. For the 11th year running, Sarah Millican will be helming hashtag join in. So capital J, capital I. In Sarah's words, but not her accent, because, you know, I like my job. By using the hashtag join in, you can join a community made up of those alone, those not alone but lonely, and those who wish they were alone. And, of course, Sarah. It's a glorious, kind, joy-filled space on social media, started by one of the biggest hearts I know. And bras are optional. Before I leave you to those two excellent interviews coming up on this podcast, I'd also like to tell you that this week's Sunday Chops is a traditional Boxing Day sports chat, as Jen is joined by journalists Dr Carrie Dunn and Natasha Henry to round up all the action in women's sport this year. And finally from me, my favourite Christmas film is Scrooged, and every year I post Frank Cross's final heart-toasty speech on social media, and because I'm lucky enough to be able to do so, chuck a wad of cash to a couple of charities. Because there are always people having trouble making their miracle happen. But we can all help. Merry Christmas, listeners. Thanks for being such a bunch of smashers. I'm joined by Philly Boyle, founding member and director of partnerships at the charity Choose Love. Hello, Philly. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us to chat today. I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about the work that Choose Love are doing and people have probably seen the very iconic t-shirts and and jumpers and things but I want to talk a little bit more about what you guys do. So can you start off please um, if you don't mind could you tell me and the listeners a little bit more about what Choose Love is and what you do and and why you do it? We are an organisation started by a group of friends who just wanted to do something um, in response to the situation in 2015 when there were large numbers of refugees arriving on the shores of Europe and there was a big polarisation between the ways that people were uh, approaching this situation. There were those who were talking in horrible kind of negative rhetoric and thinking about putting up walls and barriers and there were those of us, so many of us, who actually wanted to know what we could do to support that just saw the people coming here as human beings who were fleeing the most horrendous circumstances and just wanted to do what we could to stand in solidarity with those people. So we started the organization very much by mistake because we set up a crowdfunding page and we set up an Amazon wish list. And before we knew it, we'd raised tens of thousands of pounds and we'd gathered tens of thousands of items of aid because so many people like us felt that we actually wanted to do something. What could we do? And there weren't any really obvious ways at that moment or not many kind of avenues for people to help. So we ended up setting up an organization because we found that there was so much need for what we were doing. We we went to Calais. We found that there were 5,000 people there living in a camp, living in tents, um, some people with, even without tents. And we saw that it was the people that were providing the support, the assistance, were just a very small number of local individuals who were trying to do what they could to support the needs of all all of these human beings whose lives have been torn apart and who were then kind of having no option but to live in this these horrendous conditions in this refugee camp an hour away from two of the richest capital cities in the world. 
So what kind of led us to exist was was seeing this and realizing that we'd raise this money. This was the way that we could help was to and, and use this money that we we'd raised what we felt was responsibly because we felt a huge responsibility from that moment to the people who donated that hard-earned cash uh, to make sure that we were spending it wisely. We started to, to fund work in Calais and we started to do the same thing, get connected to other grassroots groups that were popping up across the migration routes uh, throughout Europe, uh, into the Middle East and the Balkans. And everywhere we were, we were being connected to these incredible individuals working in these in the most horrendous of circumstances and providing support within communities which had kind of ostensibly been forgotten by so many people. And, you know, people were being forced to live in unimaginably horrible conditions. I mean, that sort of, that unfortunately still, still continues. And what we saw right from when we started and what we still see now is this, this like beauty that there is in humanity, which is that when something isn't being provided and when human beings see other human beings in a situation where they are uh, suffering or where they are, um, they're not having their, their basic needs met, people do everything they can within their power to try and support and help others. And, and that's people both from within the refugee communities themselves and within host communities. And basically that's our reason for being now is, is that we raise funds to support those, those individuals, those organizations who are doing the most tireless and brilliant work to support refugees and displaced people all over the world. I wanted to ask you about Calais, because obviously you went over there yourself and actually saw what, you know, most of us have only seen in newspapers and Mm. et cetera, et cetera. The Calais jungle, as it was called, doesn't exist anymore. So I wondered, like, what is the situation now? Is it better? Is it worse? There are far fewer people uh, in Calais now. There are, you know, several hundred, I, I think, although the numbers change quite regularly, quite rapidly. And the conditions there, and, and you know, it's it's not a not a nice place to be. It is a very unpleasant place to be. The camp provided some infrastructure for people. You know, there were cafes. There were places you could go and charge your phone. There were places you could stay dry when it rained. And now there is none of that. So, you know, this is, we see in so many of the places that we work, we see people being kind of treated like animals, people be it all worse than, you know, people having everything that, that provides any sense of stability, like taken away from them, not given access to, you know, we're, we're working to get funds to the Poland-Belarus border, to organisations working there. You know, you see people being treated like pawns in a kind of political power plays. Uh, and the human cost of that is just is just huge it's i mean in on on the on the polar belarus border it's it's so so cold i'm sure everyone's seen that horrendous images it's freezing cold people are just people are suffering so much and and we see this in so many of the places that we work it's like there's such a disconnect between the individual human beings and the 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 wider like geopolitical Mm. power play that you've got going on and our approach has always just been that we can't fix everything. All that we can do is actually try not to get overwhelmed by 
a lot of the injustice that we see and just exists everywhere. And what we try to do as best as we can, and, you know, I'm sure we don't do it perfectly, but is just try to help as much as we can where we can try and use our position here. We've built up this brand. Um, we've built up the ability to raise funds, ups and downs, like with everyone. But, you know, in our strong moments, we, we are good at advocating for the situation and raising awareness and raising funds and getting those funds to where they're needed quickly. What we can do is we can identify those groups of people who are doing that absolutely critical and often completely life-saving work and do whatever we can to help facilitate what they are doing and what they can do and really that's through that's through fundraising and a lot of those organizations are from the refugee community led by people with lived experience and that's incredibly important and that's something we're trying to build on a lot and support supporting more and more partners who have experienced forced displacement themselves who are by far and away the best placed in most cases to to be leading on delivering projects you know you've touched there on the the, the political shit show frankly of, of of what's going on particularly between wow. the uk and and the french government for example but i'm not here to talk too much about politics right now because I think it is fiendishly complicated and yeah. I, I don't think there is an easy solution to this but also it's not just the situation between the UK and France there are displaced people everywhere in the world who you're mm-hmm. trying to help right I wondered if you could give me a, a sense of how many displaced people there are out there at currently 82 million people globally who wow. are displaced yeah it's a terrifying number and it's ever growing. And if we don't do something serious to to stop or slow down climate change, it is going to be an absolutely massively increased number over the decades to come. It is kind of terrifying. All of the issues that we face are so interlinked, the intersection between which I, I don't think everyone necessarily has really come to. I think a lot of people are talking about it, but but really climate change and and forced displacement are intrinsically linked and will become sadly unless we do something serious will become more and more and more clearly um, visibly linked so i know that we talk a lot about how climate change will invariably have a greater impact on poorer countries or mm. or places with more extreme climates already so yeah. it's it's fine for us here to sort of be like oh, well, I don't mind if, you know, it's a bit hotter in the summer or whatever. Mm. Obviously, it's, it's <laughs> there's a bit more to it than that, guys. Spoiler yeah. alert. But um, <laughs> if you're in, I don't know, sub-Saharan Africa or something, you really don't want it. That is bad. Is the link between climate change and, you know, more displaced people because more places will essentially become uninhabitable? Yeah, that my understanding and the, the the situations that and the geographies that I kind of have some low level understanding of, that's the case. Yeah, it's, because there will be less land, more places will flood, places yeah. will be too hot, places will be yeah. too cold. If you can't, yeah, if you can't manage to sustain yourself and your family, if you can't physically live somewhere because it's not hospitable, then you have to leave. You have to move somewhere where you're able to feed your family. Yeah. I mean, I think it's basically as simple as that. 
that's really interesting because that's not something that had occurred to me at all but actually that makes a lot of sense when you think about it you've talked about the kind of polarization that we're experiencing at the moment and i just um i just revealed my own polarized uh, views to you off air so i wondered if you had any experience of maybe finding someone who did not choose love, who did not sort of choose the avenue that, that you guys have and managed to talk them round? I, I might be, I'm laughing because the example that I think of is actually my mum. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel bad about mentioning my mum. But she she was not a big kind of supporter of the work we do and was quite had quite a fearful attitude towards refugees basically coming to the country and she had absorbed the narrative of certain um, media channels over the years and kind of internalized those views and she's a lovely person and I knew she was and so it didn't make sense to me that she didn't feel a little bit more just understanding of, of like the fact that we're all just human beings that simple that simple thing but I know it's complicated and I know we 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 do internalize so much information and words have a lot of power and, and you hear these stories over and over again over decades she hadn't seen me for a few months because I, I was in Calais for the first few months that we were that were running as an organization I mean actually when we were just a hashtag so she came to visit me and she volunteered in the kitchen and did a lot of onion chopping I think for about three solid days, she chopped onions for eight or nine hours a day. And then on the last day, she was taken by the person who runs Refugee Community Kitchen into the camp, which she didn't really want to do because she was quite fearful, I think. Which is and, understandable. I think that's totally yeah. understandable. And she, yeah, she went in and they just, they, we had a, a system there in the camp where within communities, people, there was few people responsible for serving out the meals from within the community. And she went to the Afghan a drop-off point uh, or one of that those community areas and someone basically just a guy um, in the what I call men of fighting age category because there's that horrible term that is coined by some areas of media I haven't seen it actually for a while but at the time it was very prevalent so a guy in his 20s 30s um, basically they, as they were doing the pot handover and sorting out all the cups and bowls and stuff he just said like thank you so much <laughs> looked her in the eyes and well, I get all I get all horribly whenever I think of it because it just reminds me of the power of just actually interacting with humans and actually just like letting down your guard and just realizing you know that 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 moment of realization for her was just that oh it's just a it's just a man <laughs> this is just a man this is a man and you know looking around this is where this man's living and he's just a person same as you know, every single one of us. And that moment, like, changed her whole life. She now gets in rows with strangers if she hears anyone saying anything out of what she considers to be out of line. Yeah, she's a massive, massive supporter of, of refugee rights now and is so engaged. And it literally just took that interaction to kind of undo all of those years and probably decades worth of kind of unconsciously absorbing narratives that were around her. Well, it's social conditioning, isn't it? I mean, you know, we are taught, again, not to get too much on my political high horse here but we are taught I think and I do think it's important to remember this because I know that I have expressed and continue to express mostly in frustration perhaps not very kind sentiments about people who have different political beliefs 
to me, mm. for example, because mm. we are in this very polarised state. And I think it's easy for us all to forget that it is in the interests of the powers that be to keep us in a state of perpetual fear because it allows them to do things that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise agree to. And the narrative that is pushed is one of fear. So it is understandable that mm. people are mm. fearful. It is understandable that people worry about a lack of resource, perhaps, or, or what, what happens to them if more people come and, and, and mm. use the things that they want to use. I do think that's understandable, but it is also pretty easy to counter most of those arguments, I think. Yeah. But I, d I do think there is something to be said for being perhaps a little bit more understanding of the reasons why people maybe have different opinions yeah I agree I agree and we have to constantly check ourselves I think in this day and age of around that space it's like let's not turn everything we have into rage and turn that on other people who are probably also doing their best and working with the information and knowledge that they have I mean of course you can't apply that everywhere but I think I think we can be a little bit kinder to other people and I think in so doing we actually conserve a lot of our emotional energy to do things that are actually useful and to work towards you know creating changes in the little ways that we can in our world or you know in, in the wider world day to day benefit of the doubt is one of the big things for me as well that I'm I always kind of try to come back to I think that COVID and lockdowns and the effects that that's had on people's mental health and the kind of surge of, of, of anger that we're sort of seeing on social media is, yeah, it feels like a bit of a scary space at the minute, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I fully put my hand up, like I'm, you know, I'm one of those people on Twitter shouting about all the things they're angry about. It's It's hard <laughs> not to sometimes. We do live in a bit of a terrifying time so and I think there's a there's a place for it I think there is, I'm not saying that there's no place for it I think you know ch to create change we do have to have a bit of fire in our belly as well mm. it's just where yes. are we directing it yeah. I think who is your quarrel with yeah, yeah. no I, I, I get it totally you must hear as we did a few weeks ago when unfortunately 27 migrants mm. died on their way to the UK which is the the biggest loss of life in a single incident since the the powers that be started to record this information so so it's huge and very sad and you must hear so many sad stories like that and, and and other things from the work that you do and the people that you help so I wondered because you must you know there must be something that drives you on to keep doing it you and and your colleagues so there must be some very inspiring things that you see and hear as well. I wondered if you had anything that you could tell us about now to sort of end on a on a bit of a high, because, you know, it's Christmas after all. I've met a lot of um, amazing and inspiring people. And honestly, the thing that gets me out of bed in, in the morning and that drives me to, to try and do my little bit is the people running the organisations um, that we fund, and in particular the people who are running the organizations who have experienced forced displacement themselves. Um, there's an incredible man called Aloysius who runs an organization called Say It Loud Club. And he is a gay refugee from Uganda. And he arrived in the UK quite a few years ago before it was originally uh, deemed that you could uh, have asylum on account of your sexuality. Uh, so he had an absolutely 
horrendous time. You know, he he went through horrible experiences. He managed to eventually get asylum in here once it became a, a, a legitimate, like in inverted commas, um, reason for, for being able to claim asylum and seek safety. If you're not allowed to be who you are in your country of birth, you know, that's a that's a reason for not being able to stay. It's very dangerous. It's 11 or 12, I believe, countries where it's punishable by death um, mm. to be anything other than straight. So this is a huge reason that people have to leave their homes and something I think, you know, similar to climate change, I think people don't necessarily know have a really real understanding of how serious this is for so many people. And so basically, as soon as he had his asylum, he started nurse. He was working full-time as a nurse. He got got all of his nursing qualifications, working full-time as a nurse. And in all of his spare time, he was doing outreach. He was going to meet people who were street homeless, to who were also LGBT refugees, to give them the support they needed, to tell them about how they needed to go about claiming asylum because people just didn't know what about the process. People didn't even know that you could now officially claim asylum because of your sexuality, let alone how to begin going about that. So he would do, when he would finish his shift, he would go out, he would be on the streets. He would, then he started going to detention centers and people would be referred to him who um, LGBT refugees within the detention centers. And he was just doing this all very informally. He would gather together in whatever places that he could find to bring people together, start building this community called Say It Loud Club. And when we met him, he was, he was still doing that working, working full time and yet supporting this ever growing community of amazing people who were trying to rebuild their lives and trying to, to set themselves back up and, 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 and many of whom trying to, organize their, their asylum so that they could start to work and you know and start to really be able to live again when we met him we started to partner with him we started to fund their am- amazing work and so he was able to start working full-time not not just with our support but with the support of others but he was able to start working full-time you know which which just meant the number of people he was able to support through that community have just grown and grown i think there are about 750 members now and that's all people are all different stages and it's a real self-sustaining community where everyone helps each other to kind of build the confidence to talk about their sexuality and to kind of um, understand how to navigate the asylum system which is so complicated and then even like every stage so then also once you have your asylum getting employment getting into housing setting up your bank account all of those things there's this real holistic support that they are able to give in this incredible organization that he's nurtured over the years and knowing him he's such an inspiration and seeing the community that he's built is just one of the most inspiring things that I think I've I've come across in the past years he's an amazing man so it's Aloysius and he's founder of Say It Loud Club and then there's also the amazing Imad um, of Imad Syrian Kitchen. So now he runs a restaurant in Kingly Court. And we met him when we were just starting out when he was in Calais six years ago. And since then, he arrived in the UK. He brought his beautiful family to join him. They lived in Syria. They, he had restaurants in Damascus. Everything was destroyed. And so he came here to start again. And already since he's been here, he's set up this beautiful restaurant. He's raised us over £200,000. Wow. He started fundraising almost immediately. He started doing pop-up supper clubs for us almost as soon as he arrived. And so, yeah, £200,000. I think it's probably actually quite a bit higher than that now. That was at last count about six months ago. And, you know, his commitment to was also having, like, growing his family, resettling, rebuilding, growing his business here, you know, starting his whole life again, to also dedicating so much time and love to supporting people who are still mm. on the move, still living in camps. You know, that's 
also want just he's another incredibly inspiring human being so one final thing to ask you about it is christmas maybe people feel like they want to do something nice something charitable for others and of course they can do so by whacking a donation over to you guys if they want so we've yes. all seen the incredible choose love t-shirts etc which i referred to earlier very iconic looking creations but you do do quite a bit more than that as well don't you so could you tell us a little bit about what else people can do to help other than buy one of those very lovely t-shirts yeah, basically we've got the Choose Love shop, which we have running online all year at www.choose.love. We're also on Carnaby Street now. And basically the concept of the Choose Love store is super simple. We as an organization have a lot of extra support that we need to provide over the winter months for our partners. The needs for everything really increases. We have people spending the winter living in tents, living in refugee camps. Uh, and so making sure that we're buying enough blankets, sleeping bags, hats, gloves, socks, kids' coats, making sure that tents are waterproof and, you know, providing tarpaulins, uh, sleeping bags, and also the kind of more secondary things, which unfortunately was the, the needs increase as a result of the the cold temperatures as well, like mental health care and mm. medical care, all of these things, the needs really do increase over these freezing cold months. It's, it's, a, it's a really challenging time for our partners. And so what we do is we open up the Choose Love store and we relaunch our online store. And basically you can see all the items, I've mentioned quite a few of them there, are listed out on the website. And basically you can, you can pick and go, you know, I'm going to spend £15 uh, on hot food. And your, every single penny of that £15, we will spend, Choose Love will spend buying hot food for people who need it this winter. And likewise, with mental health support, you can get a bundle of warmth or a bundle of love, and that contains a few of the different items. And one of the really cool things is that we have an, a lovely e-card gift option. So I know personally, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who just say, I don't need anything. I have mm. everything I need. Please yeah. don't get me more stuff. And so for people like that, who also, you know, enjoy the idea of supporting their fellow human beings, this is, I think, quite a lovely gift. So you can get a personalized card. You can write a note for them on the cards and it will detail what the item is that you bought them. So it can say like, you know, dear mum, I got you a blanket and sleeping bag from the Choose Love store. You won't get to unwrap it, but someone who really needs it will, will receive this. Um, and it will be distributed by Choose Love and their partners or something along those lines. And so so it's just a nice gift for someone. It can be a little extra gift. Believe it or not, some people come into the store and say, I'm only asking for Choose Love shop gifts this winter. Obviously, our favorite people. <laughs> um, it's, an, it's a nice gift, but it's also anyone who's got a few pounds that they could afford to donate listening to this you know it is a really really difficult time of year it's a struggle we've got 180 partners now in 20 countries and meeting the the needs of the winter months for these basic basic supplies is is really really hard work in the run-up to to christmas we do need all the help we can get so any support anyone can give will be so so gratefully received and and as i say every pound will go to buying the thing you chose or something similar so the kinds of things that are really, really needed if anyone wants any guidance are hot food always because it's just so fundamental and helps people to stay well as well as providing comfort as well as just basic nourishment. Sea rescue, we fund search and rescue boats and the meds, really, really huge need for that and medical care as well. Those are some of the things, but, but everything on the website is, is really, really needed and will be open every day at 3 Carnaby Street as well until the 24th of December, closing at about 5 on the 24th. And with a www.choose.love 
open all year round. So if you're listening to this and you've got an extra Christmas present still to buy, you know what to do. Visit www.choose.love. And can we find you on social media anywhere if we want to follow what you guys are up to? Yeah, we are at Choose Love on socials. Yeah, please do give us a follow. Philly, thank you so, so much for joining me to chat. And thank you so much for all the work you're doing. I don't want to say I'm premenstrual, but I, I have been on the verge of tears throughout this interview. So, um, <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you so you much for much. having me. And yeah, honestly, we don't, we kind of feel like we're a very small part in a cog of people actually being fundamentally amazing. I think there's a, we could be really easily led to believe in this world that people are, people are terrible and horrible, but actually... I think when given ways to support each other, we people just do and they step up. And we never see that more than in the winter. We really feel that everyone, as we start to think about, you know, that we're going to get to hopefully for many of us spend time with our loved ones, be nice and warm and cozy, eat good food. We do also think about other people in different situations. That does remind you that humans, humans are good. There really is hope. Together we can change the world and we can stand up and support each other and human beings really given half an opportunity to will always choose love thank you philly thank you hello hannah here i am joined for a roundup of the year's cinema by i mean you may have heard of her yosra osman hello how are you I'm good, thank you. Feeling festive. How are you? You are festive. You've got a Christmas tree behind you. I managed to avoid getting a Christmas tree because last year's Christmas tree was such a pantomime that I I couldn't repeat it. (laughs) I ordered a four foot one and then when I got there it was six and a half foot and I couldn't fit it in my car. I couldn't get it up the stairs. Yeah, it was like when Harry met Sally just dragging a a Christmas tree round by herself. Who needs that stress? Not me. No. So before we start on your specific films of the year, I had a bit of route around because I was like, what sort of year has cinema had? Because my initial response would be terrible. It's had a terrible, terrible year. It didn't seem that negative when I was looking, to be honest, as negative as I was expecting. The main issue that I could see was, you know, the hybrid release models that HBO have done a lot of this year and Disney's done a lot of this year has led to a rise in piracy, which is clearly a worry because that will stop bums on seats. There was the interesting story, of course, about how that hybrid release model effectively screwed Scarlett Johansson as she sued Disney about her losing out on her sort of back-end payments, as they get called. And it seems that Bond is the thing that basically has kept British cinema afloat and British cinema's our floats although no way home out on wednesday last wednesday as you and i were speaking also seems to be bringing some bums on seats although who knows yeah. what's going to happen to cinemas in the next couple of weeks how positive do you feel it's a mixed one the first half of the year it wasn't looking good for cinemas they reopened officially i think in may and the numbers were super super low and then you had all the stuff as you've mentioned with the hybrid models and how it was affecting some of these big stars like scarlett johansson and it was looking pretty bleak i think that all started to turn around actually my first memory of being in a completely full cinema and i'm going to mention this later was when i went to see shang chi and the legend of the ten rings that was absolutely packed out. Same as you mentioned for, for Spider-Man, another Marvel film, even Eternals, which isn't quite as good. They are filling out cinemas. You have no time to die. So these big 
big blockbusters are actually pulling people into the cinemas. And I think that's because, you know, you're not going to get them on streaming for a good few months. I think, for example, Shang-Chi has only just come out on, on Disney+. Plus. And a lot of people, particularly when it's big films like Marvel films or Bond films, they don't want spoilers. So they're going to go to the cinemas. Yeah. And I think in the second half of the year, I'm, I'm seeing that really, really pick up. Other sorts of films, not so much. I mean, there's a big there's a big conversation at the moment. West Side Story just came out and I, I'm desperate to see it, but I haven't actually had a chance to, to see it yet. It, it came out earlier in December and actually the numbers going to see that in the cinema are, are fairly low. I'm not sure why that is. It might be that people aren't as interested in these big musicals despite the brilliant reviews, but that that's meant to be a fairly big release. So it's kind of interesting to see. It's a bit of a mixed bag at the moment. If we keep getting these huge blockbusters, they're going to keep packing out the cinemas. But it's a shame for the smaller films and maybe some of the independent ones, which a lot of people are just quite happy to either pirate them or just say, oh, they're coming on streaming soon. I'll I'll wait for those. Yeah, agreed. I mean, there has been a lot of, I would say, really good premieres on things like Netflix, a number of films. Yeah. I really liked Passing. I don't know if that's on your... Uh, that's on, I'm okay. going to mention Passing, yeah. Never made it into a cinema, obviously. And I would sit and look and think it'd probably be quite nice to look at, to watch it in a cinema because it's it's beautiful to look at. Yeah. We never know with Netflix, although they did release some figures the other day about their best watched TV series. Yeah. But they never really release their figures. So you never know what's done well and what's not really done well no. outside of you know, how much people are talking about it on Twitter, possibly. That's sort of the only way you get to know. I feel like I'm in sort of my own kind of microculture on Twitter because a lot of people that I follow on Twitter are really into, you know, really like to talk about film. Yeah. So they will be talking about films and I'm like, oh, yeah, that film must have got really high viewership figures. And then actually they didn't because it's the same sorts of people with the same sorts of interests that might be watching them. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with with some of the films that you think that were well worth a watch this year and that maybe people might be able to sit and watch over the Christmas break. Sure. Okay, I've tried to be organised for once, Hannah, and I thought I've kind of grouped them. I've grouped them into categories. So I'm going to start with three of my absolute top, top, top films of the year, which are from the beginning of the year. And if you've missed the kind of Oscar season and some of the films that were nominated there, these are three films that I think are the standout from that kind of early awards buzz. So I'm going to start with Sound of Metal which is directed by Darius Marder and it stars absolutely incredible Riz Ahmed, who was actually nominated for an Oscar for his role. He was phenomenal in this film. It's about a drummer who loses his hearing and the various ways that he he, he tries to cope with the way his life is just completely upended by, by, this, by, by what's happening to his hearing. It's a brilliant film. It's got this amazing sense of, of realism. It's stunning to watch I think and Riz Ahmed I just cannot tell you how much I love that performance mm. it's probably one of my favourite performances and talking about streaming if you want to catch that that is on Amazon Prime at the moment I just thoroughly recommend it another one I don't know if you've seen this one Hannah Minari the no. Lee Isaac Chung film it's about a Korean family that they moved to Arkansas to try and live the American dream again I mean, I'm going to talk about performances a lot, but they really make these films. Um, you've got brilliant performances from Stephen Wen, Yeri Han, Yoon Yo Jung, and, and the kids. Uh, the kids, and one of them was nominated for a BAFTA, I think. Alan S. Kim and, and Noel Cho are just brilliant as the children who have moved to America. They're trying to, you know, they're just being kids, trying to live their lives, but their parents are facing a lot of 
a lot of hardship which is affecting them it's a really moving drama it, it got me very very emotional at times but it's also actually quite funny and it, it's probably probably my top film of, of 2021 that I've seen. Is it a Korean film or is it an American film? A Korean-American right. film. Because Korea is a cultural hotbed at the minute, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it has yeah. been for a while. Uh, but yeah. obviously, Squid Game, most yeah, watched thing ever amazing. on Netflix. But as well, you know, Korean pop, is the, yeah. the fandom for that is so huge I've as to be almost inexplicable. I mean, go on Twitter and have a little look at wowzers they inspire a lot of dedication in young women i um, know the, the funniest <laughs> thing that i see is when something's trending on twitter and then the the fans of these korean boy bands decide they're going to take over that trend yeah and just, <laughs> just go everywhere with the gifts of these bands dancing and that always makes me laugh yeah it's a bit like shopping in in aldi for me i mean i just i understand the principle but i don't know what any of the stuff is none of it is familiar to me i'm like yeah where are all the brands i recognize my favorite thing in aldi we call it the the isle of dreams you know there's that middle aisle in yeah. every aldi that just has a random array of yeah. stuff and you never know what you're gonna buy when you walk through it i just love it and yet you always buy time. something even always. if you don't even if you don't didn't know you wanted it before you got into the shop yeah <laughs> Always, always. So that's Minari. Absolutely, I think I, I cannot recommend it enough. And then the last one from this 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 first category that I have um, designated is The Father, the Florian Zeller film, uh, which won Anthony Hopkins for some people surprisingly an Oscar um, as the titular father who's losing his memory and facing a battle with dementia, but he is rejecting any support that his daughter, played by Olivia Coleman, is 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 trying to offer him in terms of carers. And it's, again, another really moving piece. But I, the thing I'd like to call out about this film is is the perspective. So it, it's all shot. Florian Zeller is, does it through Anthony Hopkins' perspective. Right. So in terms of, you know, thinking about memory and thinking about his perception of things, you, you experience the uncertainty and the disorientation that he is experiencing. But at no point does it feel exploitative, at no point does it feel manipulative, it feels really honest and, and sincere. So um, that is a, a really wonderful, wonderful film. Again, another moving one, got a little bit a little bit teary for that one, but I cry a lot in films anyway. <laughs> That's 2021, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. Go into a dark room and sob. <laughs> so next up i will my, my next category i feel so i, feel so, I can't believe i'm organized I, I feel slightly like i'm doing a quiz <laughs> which is exciting we've just talked about cinema so I, i'm gonna shout out some of the films we've just mentioned in terms of these huge blockbusters that have managed to bring all the bums on seats i mentioned shang chi did you did you see no. shang chi no. it is so much fun I really, really loved it. Um, Destin Daniel Cretton is the director. You've got Simu Liu, um, who's become an absolute star from this, um, and Aquafina, um, and a particular. I just want to shout out one particular performance from Tony Leung as the kind of troubled, absent father who is missing his wife so much that it kind of drives him to really radical and perhaps aggressive choices. Um, is this Disney? It, it is Disney, right. yeah, Disney Marvel, yeah. And it, what I really liked about it is that it's. It's just lots of fun, but it's also a really 
emotive family drama as well and you get a lot out of the performances but with marvel films i'm a, i've become a big marvel film in lockdown i've watched all of them but the one you know the one thing that i always laugh at is that in each marvel film you watch you get lots of bang bang crash crash towards the end of the film you know these huge action mm. set pieces which is just a lot of noise and bang bang Whereas, actually, you don't get that so much in Shang-Chi, but what you do get are some really, really awesome um, martial arts scenes that are really well choreographed and just really fun to watch. So I definitely recommend that one. Dune is probably the other one that was at packed cinema when I went to see it. And I thought I was going to hate it because I don't really like sci-fi much. And when I saw the trailers, I thought this is going to be so dull. But actually, yeah. I got. <laughs> the, 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 I thought the trailer looked dreadful when yeah, I saw it. Yeah. I was just like, "Oh God, it looks so bombastic and earnest." And I just thought it looked dreadful, so uh, I yeah. didn't go to see it. Yeah, I did, and was pleasantly surprised. I think Villeneuve is such an amazing director in terms of how he does spectacle and just the sheer atmosphere of it it's it's huge but it's also I really like I actually got quite invested in the story I thought the performances you know shout out to Rebecca Ferguson as as the mother were were brilliant and also Jason Momoa who's pretty much there to just do the super awesome fighter guy and just (laughs) does it so so well every scene with him in you just you just love it so um that's another one that I think I think was really really good um, to watch in the cinema, and I'm sure it will be somewhere. If you if you didn't catch it at the cinema, I'm sure it'll be on some streaming service soon. Great category three. Category three <laughs> is Netflix. Hey, <laughs> got to talk about some Netflix. I mean, they are all over the place. So um, we've well, I've, I'm happy to talk to you about this one because you've mentioned it already. Another one of my absolute top films is is Passing. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, absolutely absolutely stunning directed by rebecca hall and um starring tessa thompson who i just love anyway will watch anything with tessa thompson in and ruth negger and it's a really i found it a very kind of understated delicately Mm. done film which considering the subject matter so it's about these two two old friends that bump into each other one of them ruth negger's character is passing as white which is a real thing that happened quite a lot and in fact rebecca hall's own uh, maternal grandfather passed as white and that's where she got the kind of interest in the film and then she she read the book the original um, novel by Nella Larson of the same name and and did this film and I think she handles it so so delicately I think it's really kind of extraordinarily done in that it's not just you know it's about identity but actually what she does really well is it's not just about the identity in terms of race but it's in terms of like this kind of intersectionality of being not just black but a black woman but mm. a black mother and it's handled really really magically and i just thought it was a brilliant brilliant piece of work yeah agreed i do like tessa thompson but for me the draw was ruth negger i think she's amazing she's I, I genuinely love her she can do anything She's got such a beautiful face that that all those lovely close-ups of it were just perfect. Just just absolutely perfect. And stylistically, I thought it looked gorgeous without being overly done. I thought it it looked incredible. Yeah, Yeah. it it really. So that's on Netflix. I'd really recommend that. And the other Netflix film that I was thinking of, and I know you're a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh, yes. Um, Yes, yeah, I know. We've we've talked about this, and I know we talked about In the Heights about halfway through the year, didn't we? But actually, one that I think is even 
better. He didn't direct In the Heights, but it's one of his creations. But this one, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is about Jonathan Larson, who famously wrote Rent, the musical, absolutely blew me away. I only watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's really incredible. It's got this amazing performance by Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson, and it's about how he's determined but also struggling with his creative process to get a musical up onto Broadway and it's just it's really energetically shot it's really moving and powerful it's set in 1990 it touches on things such as AIDS and how that's affecting his friends it was brilliant it was really 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 captivating two hours so that's one I I don't know have you seen it yet Hannah I haven't no I'm saving it for Christmas but I am looking forward to it because yeah lovely Manuel Miranda also loved Rent when I saw it and also super interested in that 1980s New York, the early days of AIDS and sort of the activism that surrounded it. And yeah, I yeah. think it's fascinating. It feels really authentic. And Garfield, Andrew Garfield, totally surprised me in the role. I think he just puts his all into it. The first time I ever saw him in anything was in a Channel 4 drama called, I think it was called Kid A? or No, that's a Radiohead album. Maybe it was called Child A. And it was about a man who'd murdered someone as a child and had been released from prison with a new identity, essentially. And he was amazing in it, genuinely amazing. And then he did Red Riding for Channel 4 and then Spider-Man. And I just thought, I wish he was one of those actors that had hung around to making quality British drama rather than big blockbusters. So, yeah, I think he has huge potential in that area rather than just, you know... I hope this is a bit of a redemption for you. I also loved him in, in The Social Network, um, the Fincher film from, gosh, oh, yeah. ago, must have been about 10 years ago now, which is a bit scary. But yeah, he, he really sells this film. And it, it doesn't feel like what you might expect from a Lin-Manuel Miranda film. This isn't, this isn't Hamilton. This is mm. not In the Heights, but it is really superb. So I'm definitely going to shout out for that one too. Great. I have one more category. Yay. One more. And this is just for the kids out there. I don't know how many kids we get listening to the pod. We get mums listening. Yeah, we get some mums and also some big kids like me. Yeah. Um, so so two films that just I'm going to really quickly shout out is one on Netflix, The Mitchells versus the Machines, which is this really vibrant family sort of animated comedy about a family that go on a road trip. They're sending their, their eldest daughter to film school, but then everything goes a bit chaotic when you get this kind of Alexa series style device that decides to take over the world. <laughs> um, so they've got to go and save the world with the friend. With the, um, sorry, I said the word Alexa and my Alexa just went off. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. See, this is the start of something, Ilsra. Just know, gonna... it's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I don't have one. she's always listening Um, she really is she really is so they make some friends with these friendly robots and they try and save the world it sounds ridiculous but it's so much fun and such a vibrant film um, that I'll shout out that and then the other one is is Luca which is the Disney Pixar film which is available on Disney Plus it's about uh, two kids who are living the summer of their dreams and, and it's set in the Italian Riviera and it's gorgeous to look at but they're secretly sea monsters um, so they're trying to keep that hidden but it's really fun for all the family and kind of it's one of those films that you just get the joy and the little things like there's scenes of them going bike riding and eating gelato and it's all really nice and pleasant so another very good one Excellent. that's probably going to go into my top 10 
there you go. That's my final category. Excellent. I know I have one more category for you, which is what should we be looking forward to in 2022? So I think there are quite a few things that um, have already done sort of the rounds at film festivals, but I don't think they've been released across the UK just yet. But we've got things like the new Joel Cohen film, which has um, the tragedy of, of Macbeth with Denzel Washington and Francis Mac. Dormant, which is going to be, I think that's not a cinema release actually, I think that's going to be on Apple TV next year. Just Joel Cohen? Just Joel Cohen, just him. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, please God, they haven't fallen out. No, I don't think they oh, have. He's, he's done a couple of things. He's done a couple it's of things of on his cinema, own. As we know it. <laughs> no, no. I think I think occasionally he does like to branch out and do do things on his own. But don't worry. As far as I'm aware, they haven't fallen out. That should be one to watch. There is also Belfast, which is the next Kenneth Branagh film. Sir Kenneth. Right. Sorry. Which is Jamie Dornan, and it's a semi sort of autobiographical tale of his childhood, which has been doing the rounds at film festivals. I did see some stuff about it, and I thought it looked really interesting, but I don't think Jamie Dornan's very good, personally. Oh, no? No, he doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me. The thing is, every time I see him now, I just see Serial Killer because of that BBC oh, series. Oh, The Fall. The, Gilly, the Fall with Gillian yeah. Anderson. So every single thing I see him in now, he gives me the creeps because he just reminds me of... And that must that's a testament to how he played it. Yeah. I can't take him seriously in anything <laughs> else now. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think he was that bad until I saw him in... There was like a BBC three-part drama a couple of years ago, like a period piece. And it had Matthew Reese in it. And Matthew Reese was just, I don't know, it was embarrassing to watch him and Dornan in the same scene because Matthew Reese was just incredible. And Jamie Dornan was essentially reduced to a piece of furniture in the same oh, room no. next to Matthew Reese. So, yeah, <laughs> I think he's all right as long as he isn't in a film with people who are terrific. And then it really yeah. starts to, to look more and more shabby. Yeah. To be honest, Yosra, of anything, I was trying to think of films that I really like this year and I can't even differentiate what was in 2020, what was in 2021. I just, my brain is just like everything that's that's post-pandemic is like just one big blob. We can blur One big blob of time, yeah. <laughs> Uh, is it what were your what were your standouts though even if they were really, from 2020 um, i did really like passing obviously i thought in the heights was great yeah and the thing that pleased me about passing was there was a series of really i thought quite not like not good films that netflix put out two that starred amy adams the woman in the window the woman in the window was one of the worst things i've ever seen it's i just horrible. thought it was appallingly bad and also the one uh hillbilly elegy, elegy which yeah. i just thought was just awful as well and i uh I was like, oh my God, is this it now? Is Netflix going to just start making just absolute trash? So yeah, a bit more impressed with them recently. The one thing that I've been building up to watching, because mm-hmm. fucking hell, I love a Western, absolutely love a Western, mm-hmm. but I'm not a big fan of Cumberbatch. Oh, here it's, we go. <laughs> yeah, but I am going to have to sit and watch the, the, the Power of the Dog. Yes, and I I watched it very recently. It's actually just missed out on my top films. Oh, okay. But but it's I I'm it's another one that really surprised me. So just like I'm not a massive fan of sci-fi, I really can't tolerate westerns normally. But I watched this one because um, I, I like Jane Campion, the director, and I actually 
I quite liked it. However, having said that, I think I'm the only person out of my circle of friends who watched it that I actually quite enjoyed. Oh, really? The Baptist performance. Everyone else I've spoken to who's seen it says he was awfully miscast. Comments about his accent and all this stuff, but I actually quite liked him in it. So it'll be interesting to hear what your okay. When you watch it. Oh God, I've got loads of work to do this afternoon. Otherwise, I'd quite like to just sit and do that now. But <laughs> I, I, I send you a WhatsApp when when I've watched it. Kirsten Dunst is great. Oh yeah, of I love Kirsten Dunst and anything she's in. So she was a selling point. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yosra. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Enjoy your film watching. I will over the festive period. Standard issue for all women.